This is the Leading Second Podcast, where we're on a mission to equip local churches everywhere to raise up uncommon leaders. The Leading Second Podcast releases every Thursday morning. So hit follow and share this episode with your team. Now let's jump into another episode for all of us who lead from the middle. This is the year of the leader. This is the Leading Second Podcast. Leading Second, welcome back to the Leading Second Podcast. So excited you're here today. My name is Brandon Stewart, and we have another important conversation teed up today for all of us who lead from the middle. If you serve on your church team, you want to see the vision of your church move forward, Leading Second is for you. So welcome home today. Welcome to our tribe. And hey, today we have a great conversation lined up for you on leadership with the one and only Nathan Finocchio. Today is going to be fun. It's going to be enlightening. It's going to be a little different. And uh, we're so excited to have you here in this space. Before we dive into the interview today, though, I want to highlight leading second coaching groups. We're back for another year of coaching groups for leading second. You know, our, our coaching arm of our ministry serves as a catalyst for team health and organizational momentum. And our coaching groups are specifically designed for executive pastors, campus pastors, anyone who serves on your church's lead team to help you master the art of second chair leadership. We want to help you stretch your capacity. We want to help you develop personal leadership rhythms. Ultimately, we want to connect you to coaches and connect you to other brilliant leaders in the same seat as you in the church uh, we've had a, such a successful year of coaching groups this last year. So we're back with year one and year two of Leading Second Coaching Groups. You can head to leadingsecond.com slash coaching for more information on that. It would be our honor to take your application, to pray with you, to walk with you and consider if coaching groups are right for you this year. All right. Well, the one and only Nathan Finocchio is joining us today on the podcast. Uh, we sat down with him recently, a couple of us, uh, Kyle Heineke from Fresh Life Church, Pastor Joshua Bingle from Genesis Church. And uh, we just started having a conversation on leadership, leadership development, stewarding your calling. And um, it, it was far reaching. And we're just going to dive you right into the middle of the conversation today and hit some topics, I believe, uh, that are going to be helpful and that Nathan has such a unique perspective of. Of course, Nathan Finocchio is the founder of Theosu. He is a once-in-a-generation voice. There is no one like Nathan, and we're so thankful for him and thankful to have him in this space today. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Nathan Finocchio. I want to talk for a minute about anointing. I'm kind of referencing your book, Killer Church, here for a minute, because, um, you know, this is leading second. We are a tribe of leaders that want to hold our pastor's arms up. We want to carry vision with them. We want to move the church forward. And I love how you describe anointing in your book, and you talk about, you know, there's there's a specific purpose you've been set apart for. And I think I think you would also argue that the same could be said about churches, that there are, there's an anointing, there's, there's a, a purpose for which a church has been set apart. Why is it important that a leader understands this 
and even understands that not just about their life, but about the church and the house they're a part of. Because, you know, we really try to try to show leaders that, that, you know, we're here to carry something on behalf of our pastors for the house, to move the house forward. What would you say about that? Yeah. So I think that everybody's been graced. You know, Paul said, according to the grace that's been given unto me, uh, I labor. Um, I, 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 I worked, I labored. Um, and um, when you're graced for something, you just, things just, just work. Um, mm. The only way you're going to find out what you're graced for, ah, there's a couple ways you can find out what you're graced for. So the first thing is the process, right? So that process of, of growing and discipling and uh, going to Bible college and, and in those years of training, you begin to find out what your aptitudes are, how you've been graced, the gifts that God's been given you, um, your passions, what, what makes you come alive? Uh, passion. The Latin word literally means to suffer. Uh, your pa- your passion is what you are willing to suffer for, and so right. um, you know it's it's. I I'll, there's certain things that I will suffer for because I'm just I just so love them. They're my passion. Um, so you begin to identify your passions and your uh, your uh, passions and your callings and and your um, your values your value system, and you begin to discover your graces. Um, you know, you have a pastor, and he begins to notice things that you're graced for. And so uh, you begin to notice these things, and uh, you begin to notice that you're not graced for. And and and, and one, of the, one of the grace robbers is comparison, when you, you know, start to compare yourself to other people. What can happen is if you're a pastor, you compare yourself to other people, you adopt their values, you adopt their passions, you adopt their system, you adopt their everything. It solves armor. You try to do it. It doesn't work. You get frustrated. Um, and, you, and then, you, you know, at some point, and this is kind of what your 30s is. Your 30s is really, particularly your late 30s, it's... Uh, if, if I was talking to a 20 year old, I'd be like, your thirties is when your life falls apart and then you get put back together. <laughs> so, um, and so it's really a time where, particularly for men, it's like, you know, your twenties is you're just, cause we learned memetically. So you're just copying everything and you should be, you know, and so you're just copying yeah. and you're just gathering information and you're, you're trying to do stuff and see what works. And then in your thirties, you hit the wall and you're like, wow, I suck at that, but I'm good at this. And then you reinvent yourself. Uh, hopefully, and hopefully you do it quickly. Um, and then you begin, you, you know, your life's work. And then your forties, men start to really kill it because they've been put, they've been assembled back together. They found out what they weren't and what they were. And that anointing mm. idea is that it's like, you find out what you're anointed for. Every time I do this, it just works. I just, it's like, it's easy for me and it's so difficult for other people. And, and on top of that, I'm passionate about it. And on top of that, I just, it makes me come alive. And on top of that, I just, I'm built, I feel built for it. And on top of that, when I do it and there's there's an effortlessness and there's a grace, it really impacts people's lives. And I keep seeing it and it keeps bothering me. You know, um, I, I call it a prophetic bothering in the book, Killer Church. I believe that your anointing is attached to your prophetic bothering. You know, um, if I see something wrong at a church, um, 
I, I think that when you see something wrong, you're the one that's supposed to fix it. If you see something on the floor, pick it up. If you see something, you know, instead of me going, telling my wife, you know, why is this? Why is this? No, just if, if, if that bothers me, then that will be the one, the thing that I will, I will fix. Right. Um, right. So, uh, but when you're, when you're the terrible thing and, and, and people come alive in that and people, and people are attracted to that. Um, you'll be you'll be successful in your prophetic bothering because you, all your energy is there for it, and people know what real authentic energy is, and they know what you're just saying. You know, it's like so so that that is what will make you stand apart. That's what will make you cut through the white noise. That's what will attract the people that you're looking for because you you only you attract what you really are. Man, the scariest thing about being somebody else is that you begin to attract people that you absolutely can't stand. <laughs> Um, and, um, so yeah, that's kind of my thoughts about, um, about, about that, that leadership thing, man, if you're a pastor and you can identify those things and yeah, maybe it's a bit shameful because you're like, this is, this is, you know, it, because it doesn't look like the guy who you emulate, you know, and it doesn't look like you're here. Oh, I wish I was just like Chris Hodges, you know, it's just clean cut and he's a golfer and everybody loves him and he's so sweet. Um, but you know, but you're not. And so, you know, you just have to be who God's called you to be. And you have to, you have to be bothered about the things that you're supposed to be bothered about. And you're supposed to fight battles that maybe not other people won't fight that battle, but you're called to fight that battle because that's really where the grace is going to be, where the anointing is going to be, where your effectiveness is ultimately going to be. Nate, since we're talking to, um, second chair leaders and people that maybe you know, have some really tight guardrails on them. Um, you've served in that position. What would you say? So based on everything you just said, um, yeah. how, how do you, how would you um, counsel someone to live in the tension of that, having that prophetic bother, living into the grace that's on you and still honoring the position you've been hired for, like, uh, you know, making sure that you are serving the house because it could be, you know, well, I'm just not graced for this. And like, well, that's what you're paid for. So do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So there's definitely, it's a great, great thought. So there's, there's a, there's a threshold, isn't there? there there's this interesting threshold in your twenties and your early thirties. It's, there's this, uh, this, I'm, I'm taking it out of context and it's not what it means, but I'm going to bring an application. Um, it is good for the young man to bear the yoke in his youth. And, in your 20s and 30s, it's good to bear the yoke. Yeah. Uh, you know, they yoke a young bull with an old bull um, to keep him, for him to learn the yoke and to learn to the submission and to learn the, uh, you know, to cut straight lines, et cetera, mm. um, to learn steadiness. Um, so that's, that's the idea uh, of the proverb. And I think there's a lot of merit. The uh, the leadership application could be, hey, man, you're young and you're figuring it out. So just enjoy figuring it out. You know, like, so you don't need to be, you're not the senior pastor, you're not calling the shots. Um, This is your season of, 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 of playing, of being second, of leading second. And uh, as a young leader, this is your season of learning. You're learning everything, you know, like you're asking questions, you're observing, you're making lots of mistakes um, and you're learning from those mistakes. And it might not feel like you are, but you actually are. And you're gathering so much information and you're learning 
at a faster rate than you could ever that you ever will because eventually maybe one day you're going to be all alone and you're going to you know you learn a lot slower but all, all that to say um, a lot slower there's an aspect to that uh maybe though as you're learning and even the even the even these singular leaders these guys who are going to be a pastor a, you know a, a, they're going to be a future senior pastor they it's t- they have a season where they bear the yoke and they become right a number two guy and they're learning, but maybe you reach 35 and you realize, yeah, I don't, I don't ever want to be right. the leader guy. I just want to be the second guy. Um, that is your prophetic fathering. That's your anointing. And you begin to realize that like, well, that's what I'm called to do. I'm what really excites me is lifting up the hands of my senior leader. What really excites me is building his vision. I just love that. I love being an executor. I love being a CEO. I love uh, being support staff. And I love, you know, where I'm at. And, and I'm, I realize that most of us, I think that it's like, yeah, just t- to bear the yoke, you know, and, and know your se- know the season that you're in. Uh, what is my prophetic bothering? That might be like a 30 something, something, <laughs> you know, in your twenties, just shut up and bear the yoke. Just, you know, just serve, just, just, it's a season. It's more of a, I think it's more of a season thing than it is, uh, and you know, anything, mm. but then that prophetic bothering, I think it begins to come on you. It's like, wow, this is what I'm really made to be. I think it's something really that you discover in your thirties. And, uh, you know, as you get older, um, yeah, yeah, I just don't know if it's something that really people, I think it's something that you discover and you discover with other people and you discover in servitude. It's like how Elijah found Elisha, you know, Elisha was, was, in his father's field, bearing the yoke, and the mantle found him there. Mm-hmm. Right, um, and so that that prophetic mantle, that mantle will find you in the place of of servitude, right. serving another man's field, ser- you know, serving another man's vision, serving another man's dream. Um, so I think it's like a season thing. Great, yeah, yeah. Well said, Nathan. I want to run this by you. So um, I have loved following you on Instagram for so many years. That's why you have like, like 80 unread DMS for me. It's fine. Um, so, (laughs) but what we all love is this, is the, is your vibe, right? Your, your Nathanness. It's, it's a, it's something that's so natural to you and we all love that. But I, I also think it's like, we're seeing the far more developed Nathan, you know, now. And, and so, what what was what was that like how many bruises did you have to endure on your head um in the development process without sacrificing who you are but you yeah. you've always been you've remained so honoring of of pastors and previous churches and leaders you just you just never seem to take that bait which i think is a, a remarkable quality about you but at the same time mm-hmm. you you just you fit the um the cultural moment you fit the place that God has put you so well. Um, I don't know. I guess my question would be, first of all, what was that like for you? And then also what was demanded of your leaders through you? (laughs) You know, how, how do I, how do I help somebody like you become someone like you today? Yeah. Okay. So firstly, I, by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ, um, I never got into ministry in a really necessarily a public or profound way, you know, in my twenties. So, um, 
I feel bad for people who have Instagram in their 20s. You know, it's like it's awful. It's just absolutely shortcuts robs them of all of the, you know. So true. Uh, you know, the the secret place of God, the hiddenness of God. Um, and um, there's something that is so uh, beautiful about development and process and um, and being unknown. And so, yeah, in my 20s, I was just completely and totally unknown, you know, and I was just working at my dad's church. I went to Bible college. I was an absolute nobody. I was a class clown. I was an idiot. I mean, everybody knew me on campus. But in terms of my church involvement, I, I hardly did. I did what I could, but nobody wanted to use me because I was just known as an idiot. Um, <laughs> I played on the worship team, but they wouldn't let me lead worship. You know, I wasn't I wasn't squeaky clean enough. You know, I was I'd kicked, been kicked out of Bible college a couple times. I was ultimately kicked out a third time and just informally dismissed uh, in my fourth year. Um <laughs> I was just a stupid pastor's kid, but I was trying to figure it out. I had some, some, uh, you know, some, some, um, flesh stuff, just like every, every 20, 20 year old boy or whatever. Um, just, you know, just, but, um, working through carnality, you know, um, in my, in my early twenties. Uh, but like, I was a good guy, you know, like I, I, I didn't do anything, um, anything stupid just stupid enough to get me kicked out of a, a strict bible college but um <laughs> but all that to say uh you know went home worked at my dad's church um after a summer of working in a toyota factory and my dad was like i won't hire you i'm not gonna hire you and i'm like okay well i i could do this and um so i had to sign an honor code with my dad and he gave me like a second chance and Thanks, i started yeah, exactly. I served my dad pretty faithfully. Um, I was leading worship. I was a youth pastor for about two years, three years, two and a half years, uh, in a in a town in the middle of nowhere. Um, I was probably just as opinionated. I I was pr probably read just as much. Um, I was more into music at the time. Um, I put a lot of. Um, I put a lot of of time into music, like. I, like so all the time that I would have been studying I would I put it all into music you know so I kind of front loaded my life that way and then my life my, my music kind of fell apart when I was about 29 I moved to New York when I was 27 and um, got married when I was 30 about age 31 Carl Lentz and Joel Houston pity hired me um, because I was broke and my music career had fallen to pieces and so they hired me as a as a you know, Bible teacher. And that's when I started to do what I was doing. And, um, but yeah, I don't know, like I was unsteady, um, but I was submitted. So I, that's kind of probably been, um, the, the theme of my life, you know, is like, I'm like this kind of unreliable guy who's reliable. So I'm like, I'm unpredictable, but I'm faithful, you know, like I'm unpredictable, but I'm orthodox. I'm unpredictable and I'm kind of loopy and, you know, um, but I'm, I show up, you know, and I stay under, uh, authority. I stay in the church no matter what. So it's just showing up every day. Um, 
and um, and just just working through working through every, every you know everybody has dysfunction and nobody's arrived and nobody's perfect and so I just I'm just a guy who just keeps showing up. Uh, I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not the best musician. I'm not the best any you know thing. I just show up and I just stay in relationship with pastors and with spiritual fathers and friends and um and I'm still working on on my on my crap, you know. So that's so I'm probably I'm probably just the same guy as I was I'm 40 when I was at 30 when I was at 20 but but maybe I've learned a couple of lessons. Carl <laughs> so. alluded to it and and I want there's a a question I want to ask about because you are somebody who, um, as I've observed and known you over the years, loves the local church. Hmm. I've been in rooms with you with pastors who are like generals in the faith, and you're always asking questions. You're not the guy who knows it all. Um, but I know, just like with all of us, and there's going to be people listening to this podcast who have disagreements with their pastor, or I would have done it this way, I would have done it that way, or why are we doing it this way? The question is, do you have, are there questions you ask yourself when you're in moments of disagreement? Because you've remained so on. Yeah. Are there questions you ask yourself? Is there a rubric you work through to be like, is, should I bring this up? Do I need to get over it? Because there's going to be a lot of people listening who have disagreements with the way things are run and they're trying to be faithful. Like, how do you work through that? Yeah, so I think, you have so I guess I've been on a process of discovering what I believe. I, I think that we're all sort of doing that, you know. So it's like it's a process. In your twenties, you don't know what you believe. Everything's just sort of in the realm of the um ethereal, you know. It's 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 not really been our you know incarnated yet, you know. It, it's it's it, it's in the it's in it's all metaphysic. You know, it's just, it's, it's just gymnastics. Um, and then in your thirties, you know, you start to go, Oh, these are my values, you know? Um, so in that process of discovering your values, your convictions, um, and uh, many times, you know, your what's happening is your method. Well, if there's an, any, any intentionality, the method is beginning to inform some of those things. You're putting your method together, and you're going, man. I this is how I come to my conclusions, and this is a conclusion that, and now it's become a conviction because I I trust this method, and so uh, you start to find people that there's a real unity. Uh, you have you know with those core things about yourself, not a false unity, but a, a core unity. Um, can two walk together who are not agreed? You know. Right. Um, and so you find people who you have enough core values and distinctives mm. in in uh, in agreement, and then you begin to just walk with them. So uh, that's kind of my been my my thing. So like, you know, I was at a church for a while that. Um, I was just discovering what I believed, you know, and I think that the leader that I was of the, the the pastor of the church at the time, he was discovering what he believed, and maybe I knew what I believed deep down, but it needed some challenging, and maybe, um, 
he was discovering what he believed, you know, because it was being repeated constantly and over and over and over again. And, you know, so his value was evangelism. Um, and I saw the, you know, um, I was working through my values. I'm not sure what they were. I loved the methodological advantages of his brand of evangelism. I saw that it worked. And uh, the part of me that's utilitarian was like, this is, this is good. Um, but when it stopped being good, then it was like time to reevaluate, you know, why isn't this good? What's not working here? Uh, what are some of the under the underpinnings? Why does this person believe this way? Why are their methods like this? Um, oh, these seem to be their motivators. This is what's informing their method. This is their philosophy that is it presupposes their method, and this is why they do the way they. I don't agree with that, and I see that this is not you know. So, anyways, all that to say. But I did that all the all the while being honoring. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I didn't. Um, I didn't start. To, I didn't take to Instagram and start lighting my pastor on fire or lighting my church on fire or anything like that. I was working through all these things. Uh, you know, Mary, Mary held these things in her heart, <laughs> um, and so, uh, so I think that if you're in the process, you're at a church and you're trying to figure it out, and you're like, maybe you're at a church and you're trying, to, you're just trying to, is this me? It's okay to work through your philosophy. Yeah, in fact, you should. You owe it to that pastor to be with him heart and soul. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so yeah. you need to be asking those questions. And then if you and then if you can answer them, you know, and you're like, man, pastor, I'm with you heart and soul, then then you're everything's the better for it. But if you if you've had to contemplate, you've had some time of reflection and you're going, I don't think that we share the same ministry philosophy, thus we don't share the same you know, value on the, on these methods. And I think that it would be better for this church if I went somewhere else so that I don't become, because I don't want to be a problem. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, but bottom line, these are, these are conversations that nobody wants to have because nobody wants to lose people. But at the end of the day, we're all losing people. We're all gaining right. people. <laughs> right. It's right. better if we just find, get a, get a process, get an honoring way to do that. So yeah, I didn't. I left pretty quietly when I left my church, you know. Um, that is until I got personally attacked. <laughs> but um, you know, but I, I never attack. I, I I don't make a habit of attacking people. I make a habit of attacking ideas. Um, yeah, you know. But but but. Uh, anyways. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. I'm imperfect at it. I think we're all imperfect at it, but I want to be better at it. Yeah, it's a, it's such a tension. I don't know if it's a tension we ever we ever escape. Um, Nathan, we love the way you think. Thanks for just a conversation today to um, help us elevate our thinking, challenge our thinking a little bit. We we appreciate you. I do want to ask you one last question before we let you go today. I'm just thinking about my pastor. And where he's at right now, I mean, we saw a lot of leaders uh, in our church fall off, you know, the, in the last three years, cer certainly, at least in our church, starting in the summer of 2020, um, you know, we, we saw a lot of leaders exit for various reasons. And my pastor right now is so hopeful about, about emerging leaders in our church. Like, my pastor wants nothing more than, like, the young leaders in our church coming up to get it. 
and he has pretty much pushed every chip he has to the center of the table on on that you know that place right now so let's talk to those leaders like those you know young leaders of potential sitting in churches today like what would you say to them to help them go the distance today like in this culture what are they going to need to stand and to go the distance for their pastor with with what we're staring down and facing today i would say a couple things so number one don't trust your instincts your instincts a lot of times are formed by secularism. They're informed by, uh, you know, your political instincts. Gen Z's politics are so bad. Oh, um, they're, they're, yeah, they're literally, they're, they are they are on target to do more damage than the boomers did. They're the new right. boom, boom, boomers. Like the boomers. I, I, saw you know, they, I saw you say that the other day. I thought that was really intriguing and yeah. interesting. Yeah. So if you think of it, you know, the boomers rot about, the sexual revolution, right. which literally obliterated our society. And we're, and it's still, you know, people wonder, why are we so fractured politically? It's like sexual revolution, just right there. That's, that's the only reason why. Um, and, and, and in the, in, uh, Thomas Sowell believes that all the race stuff that we see today is because of the sexual revolution. Like mm. he, he, yeah. he locates all the problems that the black community are facing right now with the social, with the sexual revolution. So it's actually like, it's, it, it, it permeates literally everything. Yeah, it does. Um, so I, and, and I think that Gen Z are on the path to, to surpass the damage that the sexual revolution did. Um, so, and that's, that has to do, and that's the whole gender thing. It's like the absolute and total confusion um, with sex, sexuality. I mean, I really think it's going to take a war to, for, for, for Gen Z to learn about morality. It's, it's kind of like Israel and the judges. It's just, it happens. It's just generational. It's a generational thing. We become stupid and then we need to learn about our own mortality. Um, so I'm not hopeful. I'm hopeful about the Church of Jesus Christ. I'm not hopeful about that generation. And I'll say this about generations. Man, I'm really crapping on Gen Z today. It's fun. Um, <laughs> so I'm not this guy. I actually never do this. Think about the generation that died in the wilderness, literally an entire generation. And God was just like, I'm just going to wait till you're dead. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to build my church. I'm go Oh, oh, trust me. I'm going to get what I want. I'm just going to wait till you're all dead. <laughs> So I think that I think that it could be a situation like that. It literally could be a situation like that. I am I I don't want it to be. I'm not prophesying it. I'm just wondering. Okay. The reason why I'm wondering it is because of their political instincts. Right. Secularism secularism. Now I think that secularism has is is lost. Um I think that the all the power of it is they they're at their end. Because they don't even believe the things that they're saying, right. dude. We're at the point where it's just like, it's so stupid that people are just, people are now beginning to publicly ridicule how stupid it is. And these are not Christians. Right, right. You know, when Elon Musk and Joe Rogan and Russell Brand are, are going, this is stupid. Like when J.K. <laughs> Rowling and Ricky Gervais and... Richard Dawkins is going, this is cultural suicide. It's like, 
Huh. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. But Gen Z are still just going full, full, like, you know, full bore down this, down this empathetic hole. <laughs> so, uh, so it's their cultural instincts. Secularism. So, so I think secularism is bottomed out. And that's why I think that Gen A, you know, your seven-year-old, eight-year-old at home, they're calling them Gen Alpha because they're all on YouTube and all they do is learn stuff on YouTube. They're going to kill it. I think that they're going to be amazing. Mm. To Gen Z, though, I'm saying to you, your cultural instincts are literally the worst in human history. They are literally <laughs> the worst in human history. So you have to, you literally, there's Romans 12 was written for you. If you don't, if you don't figure out that your cultural instincts are the worst cultural instincts in human history. So that's, that'll, that'll be my first thing. You're, you, every instinct that you have about the Bible, every instinct mm. that you have about God, every instinct wow. that you have about loving people, every instinct about what you think God should be, every instinct that you think about what love should be, every instinct about how you think society should should uh, should um, work and, and be culturally cohesive, all of those, they're literally the worst ideas in the history of the Christian church and in the West, and you have to get rid of all of them. And you need to start reading right now old Christian books. You need to literally like, like these guys, this is why a Gabe Finocchio is canceled on every single platform is because of how bad the Gen Z instincts are and how medieval Gabriel is. He's unrecognizable. (laughs) And that's what needs to happen is they need to become, they need to get, become unrecognizable. Very they need good. to rebel into tradition and they need wow. to start reading Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. Augustine, John Calvin, Luther, just literally to get all of their instincts gone so that they become almost, and there needs to be a philosophical reassignment surgery that happens to right. every Gen Zer. <laughs> right. That is our only, that's their only hope. If they will do that, if they will receive philosophical reassignment surgery, and it's gonna be it's gonna be just that. It's gonna be painful, mm-hmm. it's gonna be awful, mm-hmm. it's gonna hurt, they're not gonna recognize themselves, but that's what discipleship looks like at this level, this extremity. I I need a course on Theosu about what did you just say? Philosophical, uh, philosophical reassignment, reassignment surgery. surgery. Yeah. Brilliant. No, but everything you're saying, it. I think to your point that we're so bad at, well, other generations as well are bad at politics. It's th- these aren't these aren't conservative worldviews born out of politics. These are biblical worldviews that are born out of the deep study that you said earlier, and and you have this voice now and 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 ideals and ideas like a Jordan Peterson. And at one point you started speaking up and I just have to say, I really respect and honor that because uh, it feels like somebody's fighting for this generation, even though you're, you're hard on us, so to speak, it's true and it's, it's needed.
To find the episode guide, visit our website, leadingsecond.com forward slash podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Leading Second and join us on the Leading Second Collective on Facebook. 